with the powers that be daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, August 8th, and for today's Media Monday, John Kelly and I talk about some of the tough calls David Zaslov has been making at Warner Brothers Discovery, and how the ruthless strategy of, quote, finding efficiencies will play out among the rank and file. And we discuss whether Joe Biden can fix his underwater media narrative before it's too late. We hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy monday everybody it's your boy peter hamby back from a lengthy vacation that john kelly let me go on so i want to kick off this uh next quarter fall whatever q3 q4 with with you uh john on media monday as always how are you doing oh peter we had a great time with our pal, Teddy, who we love dearly, but I'm thrilled. I'm just surprised I didn't see you getting hosed down anywhere by Ari Emanuel or Elon Musk. I, I was waiting to, to see I, you on the tender to the yacht, but uh, I guess you kept those <laughs> photos private. You, you know how to pay off Dylan Howard or, or whatever. Yeah, I didn't see, we were in Greece, I didn't see Elon. Um, Katie hosed me down with Rosé at one point, but we kept that. Those stay in the memes. Those That's not for <laughs> yeah. tabloid consumption. <laughs> that's why you got to be private on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I did have a, We did have a fun tabloid moment, though, actually. We uh, went to Paris uh, before going to Greece on this trip, and we woke up one morning and just walked all over the city, and Paris is the absolute best, and came back to our hotel, and there are all these, like, hordes of tourists and paparazzi, like, outside of the entrance to our hotel, and we were like, what's going on here? And I went on Twitter and found out that Ben and J-Lo were staying at our hotel on their honeymoon. 
Mo, what a truly batshit world we live in that, uh, that Benifer, um is, is back and better than ever. But, um, but welcome back. Uh, I'll forward you Teddy's notes. Um, he left a few and um, we'll get you right up to speed in no time. Great. Thank you for that. So, hey, uh, you know, there was a lot of news that happened when I left and the myth that no news happens in August continues to be busted. Last week, Warner Brothers Discovery had their earnings call. Zaz, David Zaslov, the head of the whole enterprise, made a lot of news. <laughs> he talked about the coming merger of HBO Max and Discovery Plus. He said, you know, and this was a poke in the eye to Jason Kylar's strategy, that they were going to dial back releasing all movies on streaming when they come out. But importantly, he totally spiked this Batgirl movie, which has like Michael Keaton, a bunch of big names, like the movie's like almost done. That's a crazy story. I mean, that's a huge like brand, blockbuster, et cetera. This is all part of his effort to cut costs and find efficiencies, quote unquote. What point does that strategy run up against just like pissing everybody off and ruining morale? That feels like a tough place to be if you work there. Yeah, I find the whole thing is is, is mesmerizing. You know, Zaslav for the year that this deal was going through diligence and legal phase and there's all, all the complexities when you're trying to merge a, a already public company with a entity in Warner Media that's a ginormous unit of a another public company in AT&T. Zaslav spent a lot of it ostensibly charming Hollywood. He's, you know, he is a, a cable OG, like from the GE Jack Welch School helped create CNBC and MSNBC and, and built Discovery out of parts into a meaningful um, $30 billion market cap public company. Many people thought he was going to Hollywood to burnish his credentials with the Ari Emanuel, Brian Lord landscape so that it would be, these would be valuable relationships that would pay off when he became the CEO of the parent company that ran Warner Brothers and HBO. What people didn't talk about during this year courtship phase, of course, he also you know, bought Robert Evans' old house, which is just sort of amusing. Um, <laughs> what, what they didn't talk about was that he was also laying the groundwork for the massive financial engineering project, which, which lays at the foot of the Warner Brothers Discovery entity. Like, this was a highly levered company coming out of AT&T, and Zaslav burnished these creative relationships, but he wasn't burnishing them to suck up to people to say, oh, will you please get your movie star to star in my movie? He was managing these relationships to say, look, there are going to be some very, very difficult decisions that I have to make. I don't want to make them. Nobody grew up to want to be a cost cutter, but this is the hand that I was dealt. There are massive inefficiencies that have to be managed when you're you know, merging these kinds of companies, and we're going to have a different strategy. And on a fundamental level, the different strategy is for a very long time, everyone thought Netflix was the answer. Netflix was true north and true north meant it was a streaming landscape that looked like a, a kind of non-live TV, movies and shows, a lot of CBS style, mid-market stuff, and just a lot of spaghetti at the wall. Zaz is building a streaming entity that looks a little bit more like the cable world that he came from, where there's news and sports and movies that are usually big movies that play in theaters and then go to streaming after a brief window. And movies like Batgirl, which are caught somewhere in, the, in this murky middle where they cost like $90 million. They're built on important IP, but there's no economic model for them. So he's articulating a new industrial logic for this kind of streaming company. And the big news out of the earnings last week was that the EBITDA promise he made to Wall Street missed. 
He said that we think this combined company is going to have $14 billion in 2023 in, in EBITDA, which is, you know, sort of operating profitability for, for a business. And it's going to be closer to 12. But the shockwave sent is that it's a two-way marketplace. He is focused on the investor side, the Wall Street side, much more than he is focused on the creative community side. He knows that in this new economy that we're in, where Wall Street does value streaming companies as media companies, which is the, the lesson of this spring, Netflix is not going to be valued like it's Microsoft. It's going to be valued more like it's Comcast. Then Zaslov has to say to the creative community, look, these are hard truths and I'm managing towards them. And if you don't want to play ball, go to the competitors. But the reality is that you know Netflix is going to be telling these people the same thing. Shouldn't Zaslov have a little more leeway when it comes to this earnings miss or whatever? Like revenue everywhere is down right now because of the market. And also, like if you're coming in with a weed whacker to a company, like a legacy company that's just as, as, as huge as Warner Brothers and Discovery, it's going to take you a while to find your quote unquote efficiencies. I know Wall Street has like no patience and no attention span, but I mean, feels like you should have a little more <laughs> runway. It's a fair point. But here's the sort of like Zaz generous view of it. Time Warner, so the, the entity that Jeff Bukas ran after he spun out the magazine division and then sold nearly $100 billion to the bean counters in Dallas, the AT&T guys, that was run almost like a holding company. There were different fiefs. HBO had a fiefdom. CNN was run like a separate company. They added more debt to these, these companies, and they, and they didn't entirely break down this operational structure. So to Zaz, who has made probably a billion dollars in, in personal wealth by operational efficiencies, and that was the GE model, that was the, the, the Jack Welch model of, you know, cut the lowest performers, financial engineering, operation, ex, operational excellence. I think he, he sees this kind of balance sheet that he's inherited, and he must think to himself, this is not business. These are a bunch of entities that don't have anywhere near the efficiencies that they need to have. And once we actually give them the efficiencies, we will be able to manage the whole entity a lot more smoothly. He comes from the view that this is a business and he will manage the creative people in a way that keeps them satisfied. And obviously he has so many deals to go around that he can tuck people in. And I think he's willing to take that gamble. He can piss off Brian Lord and Ari Emanuel. He cannot piss off the biggest institutional investors that are helping to capitalize this deal. And he cannot piss off his shareholders. In this case, he's he's the Jack Donaghy um, and <laughs> uh, Warner Brothers Discovery. Could it be under the purview at some point, as Bill Cohan reported, of Cable Town, <laughs> to oh. use the tortured 30 Rock analogy, a.k.a. Comcast? Would Comcast ever kind of swoop in here if, if things don't go <laughs> the way... Zaz wants them to. Bill wrote this great piece this week that sort of foreshadows the possibilities here. I love this phrase, um, preserve your optionality, which I always thought meant like kind of keep your hand to yourself. But what it really means is like execute on a plan. And then over time, if you if you do it well, that plan leads to like many multiples of other plans that can make you in, insane amounts of money here. And I think that first and foremost, Zaslav is executing a plan that will make his company more profitable and, and have better EBITDA. If he does that, one way to maximize the value is yes. If a company like Comcast, as Bill posited this week, comes up with a creative deal where NBC, Universal, and Sky, which are two elements of big elements of the Comcast portfolio, 
are seem to be undervalued inside of Comcast, which still has, you know, a, a massive like physical cable line business. So what if like Zaz gets more assets to manage and Comcast gets to control that entity while also being a pure play cable company inside of itself and, and the Roberts family gets to operate both, which they're, they're comfortable doing joint ventures and they're comfortable operating them. It, it's a tantalizing idea, largely because if you estimate that the EBITDA of the Comcast media assets are like seven or $8 billion and that Zaslav is looking at, you know, 12 plus in 2023, then you're getting around near 20. Then you are then talking about a legitimate Netflix size competitor. And you're talking about one that is probably built in the most hybrid, flexible way for how people really probably will want to view in the future, which is they'll want to see movies, they'll want to see TV shows, maybe some good ones, maybe some bad ones, maybe some garbage like Dr. Pimple Popper, and also news and sports. I think it would be doable. CNN is a case in point here. Like the strategy right now, as our homie you know Dylan has pointed out numerous times, is do more with less, which is a very short-term strategy. That is not a you know, a, a new media strategy that is a manage to the number strategy and makes you think that there's that it's short term and that there's something else brewing that's going to come along. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, and when we come back, I'm going to ask John what his favorite show on the Magnolia Network <laughs> is. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about Joe Biden's media narrative, which feels stuck despite the fact that the president is putting points on the board. Can the White House fix the messaging and fixes approval ratings when we come back. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click gift mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And gift mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. 
You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be. netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. Welcome back, everyone. John, I am pulling up as we speak. How popular is Joe Biden? The 538 approval rating average. Joe Biden approval rating average is 39.3%, percent, mm. uh, which is actually up about yeah. two points um, from the end of July. Some of that can be attributed to a great jobs report that came out on Friday. Or maybe the U.S. finally took out Ayman al-Zawahri in Afghanistan 20 years later. He's passed a bunch of bills and might be on the cusp of passing a, a big uh, climate and energy bill with the approval of Manchin and Cinema, But it doesn't feel like Biden can break out of uh, a couple narratives here. You know, once you're this far underwater for any president, it's just hard to get back up. Related to that, Biden just doesn't have the ability to marshal public opinion in the way that Obama and Trump did. And then, you know, it feels like a lot of the bills that are being passed, you know, this is a like, kind of like a Washington scoreboard. You know, these are big mm-hmm. bills mm-hmm. that might be very consequential yes. down the road, but people vote <laughs> based on very transactional things like the price of groceries, price of gas, COVID checks in the mail. This is my government doing something for me, or it it feels bad out there because I'm paying more, you know, every every time I go to the pump or every time I pay my bills. And then policy purists hate this, but, you know, this is the beer test thing. People vote on vibes. <laughs> and Biden's vibes are old, transitional president. He may or may not be FDR in the long run, but it, it just feels like he is more of a one-term president, even if the White House is pushing back on that aggressively. Do you think it's possible for him to right the ship in the next one year? Yeah, I'm sort of surprised that the culture at large is is overcomplicating this. Biden is immensely likable, but he is right now not favorable. And I feel like the cat has sort of gotten out of the bag here. You know, we, we each read that Axios report from last week that pointed out that Nadler and Carolyn Maloney and Manchin weren't doing things that are very normal, like saying that they endorsed their president in 2024 and their party's leader. By, by the way, this is so funny to me. Like, like this is in your neck of the woods, but Carolyn Maloney and Jerry Nadler uh, are in a, a congressional yeah. primary in New York. A, <laughs> like, a, a gerrymandered uh, primary. Gerrymandered primary, yeah. So, uh, like, with redistricting. but they're And they're running against a much younger guy, Siraj Patel, for the Democratic nomination in this seat. And, like, Maloney is 76. I know. And Jerry Nadler is 75. And these two old tutors are like, oh, I don't know if Biden should run again. (laughs) Like, you guys are so geriatric. Like, just shut up. The old man. The older older at it again. Um, (laughs) But the Biden people like to say that there is a Biden coalition. And I think it's clear now that there is an anti-Trump coalition that if effectively leveraged by the Democratic Party and draped around a different candidate, could be equally effective in a what you know looks increasingly like a, a Trump rematch. I'd be so surprised if Biden runs. 
I would be so surprised if he wants to go through the agony of running uh, opposed. And I think and I think that that he would be um, he would be primary. And I think that the Hunter mm-hmm. Biden stuff really does weigh on him. Tara's reported that out in a bit. And I think it's absolutely true. Biden also could use that as an out to pull out of this thing. But it's hard to read the future in politics. But if you had to put money on it today, do you, you think Biden's on the ticket in twenty four? I try to step back a little bit from all of the noise and the reporting around this and just think about all the time I spent with Biden. And I think about that first piece I wrote for The Hive for you about Biden back in like 2017. And just like, I haven't known him, you know, as long as like Dan Balls, but I feel like the first time I talked to Joe Biden was 2007. And I don't don't claim to know him well, but I've talked to him on and off the record over the years. And like, he loves being in the game. Like he just loves like being in politics and like he doesn't, he wants to win and he he just wants to be in it. And I do think that, and I've always said, he will talk to Jill and his family over the holidays this year, like after the midterms, make an assessment, yes, about like what the next two years will look like as president and for the Democratic Party, but also like his family, his health, his age and ability to endure another campaign because the next campaign will be the next two years for him. And, you know, my producer Charles and I for my Snapchat show, we spent a lot of time watching like raw video of Biden speaking. A lot of people only see the sound bites or the gaffes. There's just an impression out there that he's losing a step, even though he's always had gaffes, you know, and people have always questioned his his manner of speaking going back years. When the guy's turning 80 years old, I don't I don't think it's controversial to, to lose a step. He, you know, he'd be 86 at the end of a, of a hypothetical second term that's wild totally and like what the white house is trying to do right now is just is project strength and like push all those concerns aside because he's not a lame duck president he's trying to get a lot of bills passed he needs to have muscle with congress and the american public to the extent that he does but the other aspect here is if you are going to step aside like you need to allow these other democratic campaigns to to actually build campaigns because like the election isn't in 2024, it's the Iowa caucuses at the beginning of 2023. And so heading into 2022, Kamala and Pete and Gavin Newsom and Phil Murphy and what's his name from Illinois, <laughs> like these guys are going to have to like hire staff, raise money, like do all the things they need to do. It just gets harder to do that in a six month period. Biden, his number one concern should be himself, but you know, if he's thinking about the next generation of the party, he should give them some room to breathe and and build campaigns too. And just as similarly, whoever runs against Trump, in my opinion, in, in 2024, they're going to be running against a different kind of Trump. Like Trump is not in the liberal psyche the same way he used to be when he was on CNN every day and on Twitter every day. He's still giving a lot of speeches. He's, he's truthing it up. And I think he is in the brainwaves of his base and, and probably of also like opportunistic but McConnell adjacent Republicans who are willing to deal with the worst of it in order to benefit from certain tax consequences and and, and other things that, that that Trump implicitly promises them. So it's hard to imagine that there will be a turnout of 74 million voters in a non-mail-in COVID election, meaning that the next Democrat who runs needs a massive infrastructure. They need to build it and they need to do everything they can to take the best of the anti-Trump coalition the Democrats have amassed and supercharge it. And that's a time-consuming effort. And I think that if Biden has the conversation that he mentioned with his family, which he absolutely will, time will be of the essence. The last thing I'll say too is Biden has this idea in his head and the people around him that he's the only guy that can beat Trump. That's not true. One of the biggest biases in, in political journalism is this like fetishization of like 
the moment, like what's happening right now. You know, when Trump left office, it was totally implausible that he like would not be the Republican nominee again in 2024. He might be, but Ron DeSantis might be too. You know, like there's things change in politics. And I think Biden and the people around him have to acknowledge that none of the Democrats out there are perfect and have the silver bullet, but a good campaign and a good candidate can beat Donald Trump, who is a remains a very unpopular figure. But those other Democrats do need time to introduce themselves to the American public. John, it's great to be back. Missed you, buddy. Glad you're here. Me too. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13.